Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm here today once again with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. In today's discussion, we're going to have a chat about the Productivity Commission's report into superannuation which was released last week. There was around 31 recommendations which were made. So we're going to delve into a couple of those. Um, once again, the podcast is of general nature, so please do seek um, individual or specific advice before acting on anything that we discussed today. Thank you. Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors podcast. This is our first episode for 2019. So welcome to all of our listeners. Um, last week, the Productivity Commission um, handed down its review into the efficiency and effectiveness of um, Australian superannuation system. Um, the review was um, ordered by the coalition government about three years ago. So the report really is a culmination of, of the last three years of work. Um, it has got a fair bit of attention in the media. Um, so Nathan and I were pretty keen to have a, a, a brief chat about some of the findings, but also some of the recommendations and perhaps how they sit within the financial services sector. Um, just to review a couple of the, the major findings within the report, um, what the Product Commission, Productivity Commission found was that a third of accounts within the system, uh, basically un- what, what they've classified as unwanted, unwanted multiples, um, so Nathan, I suppose that's, that's probably a fairly well-known thing within superannuation is that there's a lot of people out there that have multiple superannuation funds. Um, and I suppose one of the implications of that with, with fees is that the Productivity Commission um, estimated that these multiple unwanted funds um, is, are eroding about $2.6 billion in unnecessary fees and insurance premiums. So it's a pretty substantial cost just through the inaction, I suppose, of people, um, just whether they're you know nominating a new default fund whenever they change employers, or or, or just not paying a lot of attention. Um, a couple of the other findings: um, Australian pay Australians pay about thirty billion dollars a year in super fees, and as a rule of thumb, they're on average paying more than than one percent. Um, and as many as two thirds of people, when they um, start a new job are essentially nominating the default fund. Um, and I suppose that that's probably the one issue that, that's copped a lot of attention in, in the media um, because one of the recommendations um, through this report was to, to essentially create um, a best of breed default fund list. So essentially looking or creating a, a list of the top 10 funds that would be used as default funds for employees. So, Nathan, I thought perhaps we could maybe just have a discussion around that particular topic um, because that, that seems to be the one that's probably copped the most media attention, had the most debate as to what it looks like, what the implications are. Um, there's people in favour, there's people against. Um, I mean, the Labor's response was, was not a good idea um, and they're not too keen. The superannuation industry... Um, essentially hates the idea and, and they've insisted that it's anti-competitive. Um, so, I mean, what, what, what do you think, what, what are your views on it? Like cre- essentially creating a, a, a list of the top 10 funds that employers and employees can draw on as their default fund list. Yeah, my, Glenn, my initial response was I, I probably, I'm probably sitting on the fence a little bit where 
I can see, I can see both sides of the argument. So, because um, there is a lot of bad underperforming funds out there, where you know, there's I can't remember the figure I heard. Was it forty thousand or however many super funds there are? There's there's a lot of them. Yeah, there is. Yeah, and of of them, there's a lot of bad ones. So, um, so having a, a an independently reviewed list could get rid of a lot of the, the crap, so to speak. So yeah. it just hones in on um, what the independent panel's views are on, on the best of best of breed. Um, but at the same time, I can I can see the, the argument where, you know, it, it is, it, I think we said before off air, it's an extra layer of red tape. Um, you know, it could, could you know, stifle competition has been thrown around a bit in the, in the press. So, yeah, I'm, I, I don't know if I've formed a clear view yet as to, whether I think it's a good thing or not. Yeah, look, to be honest, I'm probably pretty similar with what, what you were saying. Um, I think one of the challenges with superannuation in general is, is that it's a pretty complex area, isn't it? And mm. it does involve investment and most people uh, are inexperienced, naive and really don't know where to look. So that's where they do fall on a default option, don't they? Like, you know, they start a new job. Most, most, most people starting a new, new job maybe are pretty young. So they don't really, maybe probably one, they're not interested in super and two, they don't really know where to look. They might ask their parents or, or family and friends, but um, it doesn't surprise me that most people go to the default option, um, whether that's a good one or not. Um, so as you were saying, the upside is that at least if people are perhaps are a little bit blasé or, or um, ill-informed with their super option, at least they've got this list perhaps that they can draw on which has been looked at by you know in in um speaking marks you know a, a professional suitable panel of people that can select an appropriate fund for you um but i suppose the question is what criteria are they using is it based purely on performance mm-hmm. and is is it 10 funds across a number of different investment options um because because the fear is that people chop and change every year because that's been found to also be not effective yeah. where you're just chasing the best performer each year um so you'd hate to think that the top 10 list is just made up of the best performing funds over a very short period of time because that, that can also be dangerous can't it yeah we we did a i can't remember the exact podcast but we you know we it was it's people have investigated this and, and completed studies on it where if you do pick the best performing fund from the, the year before usually usually you're a lot worse off so if it is you'd like to think that it's not going to be based on performance alone because there is a lot more to superannuation uh, and a lot of other things you need to consider than, than just performance and chasing yesterday's winners as well. Yeah, and, and you, you wonder how much vested interest is in the system as well, don't you? I mean, it's there's probably, if there is this you know best of breed mm. list of top 10 funds, um, there is going to be a lot of funds that will lose flow well, in, lose inflows, isn't there? I mean, industry funds that are aligned to a lot of industries, you know, work industries. Um, if if they don't if they don't feature in that top ten list, because most people um, are probably lazy with their nomination, a lot of the industry funds, you know, it, it is a very constant source of, of of new fund inflows, isn't it? So you can understand why they're not overly happy about it. Um, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that political angle, isn't there? Where you know. <laughs> it can get it can get kind of tricky, but obviously the you know, there's ties to the unions and and the industry funds where there's they want to maybe support <laughs> yeah. the um the the retaining the current arrangements where 
maybe the other other side doesn't. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I suppose, I mean, I, I put myself, I'm just trying to put myself in the position of, uh, obviously, we're, this is our this is our job. We're in finance, and we're thinking about this a lot. But <clears throat> just trying to put myself in the in the shoes of a an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old starting out for the first time, and it, it could potentially be a pretty daunting thing. Trying to, uh, they mightn't even think about it, mind you. But um, in terms of which fund would you actually, if, if there isn't this under the current arrangements, if you go work for um, a particular company and they put one in front of you. Um, yeah, maybe if you don't have financial literacy, you're just going to go with what's put in front of you. So that's where, yeah, maybe this top 10 list doesn't mean that you can't, you, you still have choice. Yeah, this is exactly, I think that's yeah. maybe what's been caught out in the message. This isn't forcing people to go into that top 10. It's just the default option, isn't it? Yeah. Just remove the, hopefully the the, the, the real underperformers or the substandard funds. Yeah, which perhaps a lot of employers have also been a bit blasé about as well. And it would probably bring a lot of consolidation, you would think, potentially, if a lot of the um, the funds flows dry up. You yeah, maybe think, there might be some more consolidation. you think there'd be a lot of... Which probably isn't a bad thing. You know, tight, if there's that many fun, thousands of funds, you know, tightening it up a little bit probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, that, that might help on the fee side of things. Mm. Uh, another suggestion is that the future fund should, should run um, superannuation benefits for you know for for australians but i suppose the the one thing to bear in mind there is that the objective of the future fund could potentially be quite different to the objective of a of anyone accumulating money for their retirement i mean the the future fund's objective is to obviously um provide for the 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 future of australia and you know unfunded superannuation schemes Um, but their objective is essentially cpi plus four or five percent so it's not an aggressive investment strategy, and not that that's a bad thing, but if that you, once it, as what we always talk about, you need to make sure that you're aligning your objective with your investment strategy. So to say that the future fund, um, yes, it, it could be a good option, but it may not align with your objectives, um, nor will the return potentially um, provide a, a meaningful outcome over the longer term. So I think you can sort of jump to. Um, recommendations and things like that that may not be in the best interest of everybody um but but look i I think if anything what this has done what this report has done is review the system um and and we tend to focus on the bad things but i suppose the one thing that gets lost in all this is that superannuation has been a very successful um mechanism to help individuals accumulate for their own retirement there's two trillion dollars in super so it has worked not to say that we we can't do better um and i think there's no doubt that um there's better options available with default funds but once as we probably said a few times how far do you go to take away the responsibility from the individual and that's what sort of claws me back and maybe i'm a bit naive because i work in the industry and i have an interest in it but uh, do, you th- do you think a lot of people just fail to realise how important superannuation is and how large that asset's going to be over time and just sort of don't even think about it until it's too late? Yeah, I mean, I think, once again, we said this off air, like I'm generally a supporter of people working things out themselves, but maybe that's unreasonable of me to think like that when we're talking about important things like you know people's future life-saving superannuation, maybe... Yeah 
you know, may, maybe that's an area where, where governments do need to intervene. I mean, I, I would like the market to kind of sort it out and get rid of the, the bad funds, but maybe, I don't know, maybe the conflicts of interest as well are, are an issue. So maybe that's where yeah, I report. Yeah, because it's hard to get, I mean, for, for you know, the example you were using with a young person um, starting out and setting up a superannuation fund, it's probably going to be fairly costly for them to get independent advice, isn't it? Like speak to an advisor yeah. or, or whatever it may be, um, so so it is tough. So it's, it, you know, it's like healthcare, like education. There's certain things I suppose that the government tries to provide to people, and but superannuation is a real tough one, um, and, and I think the suggestion of the the top ten list it definitely got its advantages, but maybe its disadvantages as well. Is, is there anything else that that you had that you thought perhaps you could add to the discussion at all on the top ten? Yeah, the top ten. No, I think. What I do you think, think the big downsides are? Ah, uh, for me, for me, the downsides are, are probably who who's to say that that panel is going to do a better job than 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 some other people, like like us, for example. Like you know, we we like who's to say that the people on? I, I know a couple of names have been thrown around, like is it the the Reserve Bank Governor and a few yeah, other people yeah. have been thrown around to be to be on that committee, but. Who's to say they're going to pick the best funds? And what's probably the criteria? What's, what's the criteria? Yeah, and is it just the one that's performed? The, would they just start with the the the, the ten best funds that had had performed the best in the last one or one or two or three years? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's but there's positives as well. Like I, I definitely don't want to come across as being negative on it because I can see the I can see the the benefits in it too. So it, it, I mean, perhaps the solution is a broader list, not just creating a panel, creating a top ten. Maybe there's just certain criteria. That a, that a default fund has to adhere to, whether it's you know in the top twenty percent of performing funds over like a five ten year period, whatever it may be, um, I think that some sort of guidance or criteria or requirements would be positive, because you know there's been a lot of data released that if you just stick with the worst performing fund, it can erode a substantial amount of your money. So yes, you could say the government potentially is you know, protecting people from themselves. But in the end, I, I suppose the reason why the government's got a vested interest is that if people stick in underperforming funds that aren't doing what they perhaps should be doing over a long period of time, at some point it's going to cost the taxpayer, isn't it? Because individuals won't accumulate as yeah. much super yeah, as true. what they could, um, which therefore results in them leaning on the on the public system. So there's no doubt that um, it is in everyone's interest that the overall selection of superannuation is important. And the unfortunate thing is that most people have no interest in it at a young age. Um, and we're talking probably 20 years for, for some people before superannuation you know, gets on the radar because they're focusing on other things, you know, repaying debt, putting their kids through school. And maybe it's not until they're early in the mid 40s that they start looking at their superannuation and you potentially lost out on, on 20 years of what could have been better returns. Yeah, and, and having multiple, I mean, I think definitely there is an issue with multiple accounts. There's no doubt about that. That you know, I think the stats said one third are they believe are, are unintended yeah. accounts. And I mean, I think back to my personal. I know things have changed, but I think back to my situation when you know I used to have multiple accounts and the amount of clients we see that oh yeah I've got funds here there and everywhere and it, it is an issue. So yeah. I think a solution is needed. And, and obviously the report talks about. You know, people having a fund that they they carry through with them. You know, where they set up one, they can carry it through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just making it easier to consolidate as well. 
whether it's an online solution where people can just see all the funds they have and just be able to nominate okay i want it all rolled over because it is quite still quite cumbersome to roll over from from fund to fund Mm. um so i think there's yeah there's a number of things that that the system should be looking at to improve the efficiency um and effectiveness of superannuation because it is i mean it's as i said i i think the actual figure with assets in superannuation is two point um, seven trillion dollars so we're talking massive amounts of money and it is to the benefit and for the you know for all the financial benefit of, of australia in future because with an aging population we're just not going to afford or be able to afford you know age pensions for everyone so we need to make sure that this system is working as effectively as possible yeah i mean obviously it's big it's big business and i mean i was just reading something before that i mean it actually super does cost the money like Superannuation does cost the government money, though, because if they yeah, they're increasing um, mandated contributions, that's taxed at a lower rate. So there is a short-term cost to the government. The sh- yeah, I suppose it's for a, a long, sh- a long-term, yeah. hopefully yeah. a long-term benefit. So yeah. they they need to get it right. It's more of an investment, isn't it? That cost, I suppose. Yeah, and I think also with the with the royal commission, you know, and certain practices being uncovered, where you know certain fees are being charged, and you know, in terms of superannuation, um, potentially a lot of people clipping the ticket along the way, where yeah, they really want to do what they can to to bring down costs and, and inefficiencies, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, look, uh, was there anything else that you from the there? From the, yeah, look, uh, from the report, maybe I was just going to mention, um, I just wanted your view, Glenn, on the 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 um, the 9.5% mandatory employee contributions. The report spoke about... Um, potentially delaying that until yeah. they a full review of the system has has been completed i just thought i'd see if you had any thoughts on uh, that look, question without no without notice i mean yes if as an individual as an employee yeah it's great i mean most people would be saying well the more i can get the better um but as an employer increasing the costs um of, of taking on board additional staff does that does that have an impact a more broader impact yes in regards to superannuation it, it will result in further funds being um, accumulated. Maybe there should be a um, a requirement for individuals to contribute as well to super, mm. um, because I mean, what 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 can happen is that yes, in in the first couple of years, perhaps the employer um, takes on the burden of that cost, but they can only take on board so many additional costs, can't they? And in future, what all that may result in is just a reduction in salary increases. That's the. I mean, mm. I know that they've sort of um regulated that that can't be the case but you wonder how all these things play out over time i suppose from simplistically looking at if, if so, i'm using round numbers here if you're earning a hundred thousand dollars as a total package as an employee so nine thousand five hundred nine point five percent is 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 going to super if that goes up to twelve percent all things being equal um you know that's that's twelve thousand dollars so your your take-home pay as I said, all things being equal, is going down. Because I was just reading an, uh, from an article in the Financial Review um, and I'll just, I'll just read it out. Increasing the super guarantee to 12% actually hurts a lot of low and middle income earners who lose their extra wages today and don't get anything out of it in the future because they lose some of their age pension in retirement, says, um, says the Grattan Institute. So Yeah, I remember that report from the Grattan Institute. Look, that... Yeah, I mean, it's a real difficult one, that one, isn't it? Because what they're saying is that, or oh, the more you accumulate, the less pension you're going to get. So, yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that sits with me. I mean, 
I've always said to clients that my job as an advisor is to put you in the best possible financial position. And if you don't get the pension, then potentially I've done it. You know, I'd be happier with that because it means yeah, that which I would agree. I would agree in, with in that. a better financial but, position. But a, but I guess the the reality is that a lot of people are going to well under the current rules, a lot of people are going to get the pension. But having said that, there's no guarantees. We've already seen how much. That's changes right. ha- have happened in the last few years where the, that's right. the thresholds are going down and down and down. And that's a key point to understand when you when you take on board those comments by the Grattan Institute is that they're they're assuming that the age pension stays the same or the requirements and eligibility stays the same. Um, and if that's the case, yeah, maybe you're better off having as as we spoke about um, late last year with, with regards to um, changes with with Centrelink and superannuation and so forth. It, it's the people who just tip over the upper asset limit threshold they can be better off just spending more money or upgrading their home and so that they're eligible um so maybe for those people having less in super is better but that that's where it's it's almost like if that was the case it's there's almost like a flaw in the system isn't it where you, it, when you've got more money you're worse off it just doesn't make sense does it, it doesn't seem logical to me mm. i just the other the other thing that got a bit of attention was the um the 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 de- the insurance situation. So for those under twenty five, where you yeah, yeah, have no, to, that's, um, that's a really good point. Have to opt effectively at the moment. You'll get default insurance, but the reports speaking about op- making opt it so in. you have to opt in yeah. for the insurance. Look, I, I personally think that's a good idea because I mean, why should you be paying for something that you you didn't ask for to begin with? Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I share that view. I know I know Labor's trying to block it. The Labor government's trying to block it, saying that. You know, it's important that um, I, I, I'd I'd rather look at it from an individual perspective. Where yeah. once again, does um does the government take the view that well maybe um if people aren't forced to get that insurance, they're not going to get that insurance, and they might need that insurance. The I, owner I, should be on them, shouldn't well, they? I would probably have the view that the owner should be on the individual, but sometimes I feel maybe I look at it from a financial lens. Yeah, yeah. Where not everybody has that financial mindset like we do so it's also the group you know if we're using that example of the young person who's just started out do they need hundred thousand dollars of life insurance if you if you're 18 19 20 and you're starting your first job and you're getting whatever the default cover of your fund is hundred thousand dollars of life insurance arguably who are you insuring against yeah so we, we could be talking about i don't know the numbers but it could be thousands of people in that position couldn't they that are having their balances eroded by yeah unnecessary and potentially unwanted insurance and obviously industry not just a lot of super funds not just industry funds for that matter it's going to be it's going to dry up a lot of of income or revenue for them because insurance premiums yeah um are are gonna are gonna come down when young people are probably a low risk it's the people who don't want the insurance that are probably the lowest risk aren't they like younger people yeah likelihood of them dying young is quite low so, from mm. an insurance perspective, they, they, they're potentially quite lucrative. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're sort of looking at it from, from one angle. but And they probably subsidize, in that case, they probably subsidize the cost for the, yeah. for, the older, for the older individuals that have the insurance that actually have a genuine need for it. Yeah. Because it's, it's a bigger pool of yeah. insurance. Look, yeah. There's just so many like pros and cons of all these different things. And maybe there isn't a right solution because the unfortunate thing is that not everyone can get advice. And you, 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 in an ideal world, everyone speaks to an advisor, gets advice as to, well, one, what super fund should I have? Two, do I need insurance? Yeah. If so, how much? And where do I get it from? But I just think the reality is that people aren't going to get advice. 
whether they can't afford it or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, that, that's where it's really difficult because you, you do want to protect those people who can't afford the advice but, but still need the advice. But mm. how far do you go? Yeah. How many decisions do you make for them? It's a real difficult one. Yeah. Well, look, obviously the, the, the commission is independent and, and, and they've gone and come out with 31 recommendations to improve the system and benefit Australians. So yeah. fingers crossed that um, I guess, you know, those that they're on the best interest of Australian and, and, and the, the, they'll be implemented, the ones that are deemed to be yeah. the most appropriate. And I, I just hope personally, my view, I just hope that all the conflicts of interests and... Yeah, because um, everyone's got a vested interest. Yeah, I just <laughs> hope that can be can be hopefully taken out of it. And I suppose this is a... It's difficult because it's an in, independent um, paper that's been... Uh, or a report that's been put together, but ultimately government's going to implement it. So that's well, where the conflicts are going to be And that's debated. what you think, what's the point having a, a report prepared and you don't accept any of the recommendations? And, and probably the timing of it's unfortunate as well, isn't it? Because we're, the report's being released in a year that we're going to have an election. Mm. Um, it, it was, it was um, ordered by the coalition government, but by the top, you know, who's to say that any of these recommendations will ever see, will ever see the light of day if, if there is a, an election this year and if, if Labor's elected? So you just hate, hate, hate to see that all this time and energy and money has been wasted. Well, well Labor haven't, haven't been backward in, in coming forward with their objection of <laughs> a lot of the report, have, have they? So, um, you know, it looks like they're not in a hurry to get anything through. So it no. might just be kind of a wasted exercise, really. Yeah, which would be unfortunate. Cause mm. it, and look, I suppose another thing that gets lost in all this is that we tend to, to criticise the system more than what we, um, I suppose, look at the advantages of it and praise it. But a lot of people look at our system and are envious mm. of it overseas and it is viewed as a world-class thing. So it's great that we want to improve it, but let's not continually bash super because... It just it, it makes people lose confidence in a system that has been mm. very successful over a long period of time. It's it's interesting. I mean, yeah, we often hear that it is the envy of many many economy, many different countries around the world, and that's great. But I often wonder, it's not. There's nothing that um, hard to replicate. You know, if you look at if you look at maybe other countries around the world, um, I think it's hard to start from ground zero, though, isn't it? Like it's, in terms of implementing. Yeah, I mean, we've we, we've we've had this system for. 30 years yeah um and it was a progressive thing like we built up from you know start small start small yeah. and now it's at 9.5 percent contributions for countries around the world that maybe have a more government funded retirement scheme to switch that around it's like it, it's like turning an aircraft carrier isn't it i mean it takes a long time so i think that's perhaps why we're the envy because we looked at it so many years ago perhaps when the aging population wasn't as close as what it is now i suppose yeah but i just often think you could start these other countries that maybe look at it and think, oh, I'd like to replicate that. They could, they could start start now. It's a thirty, maybe, maybe with a thirty year view, but maybe that's we've spoken about in the past. Some um, with politics, unfortunately, sometimes it's more of a short term view, isn't it? So, yeah. two to five years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So look, on that note, I think we'll wrap up the discussion. Um, look, there probably isn't any clear understanding or any any better understanding after today's discussion than what there was prior but i think the key thing is that there's pros and cons there's there's benefits there's there's costs um there's advantages of of all the different options um in the end we hope that the powers of be make the right decision and and that you know people who need advice and, and need better outcomes 
um, can find those. So look, thanks again for listening to our podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, thanks again. We'll see you next week.